the storms of life, literally or metaphorically, are hitting you, the thing you can hold on to, the anchor that's there, is that God is good, and he is not in the business of letting us down. And so I love that we sang that here and proclaim that over ourselves. I want to encourage you to keep singing it and proclaiming it over yourselves, even in the midst of this weekend. And who knows, maybe God will teach you a new defense mechanism against worry and fear and panic. And that is you sing this song over yourself and remember the truth of God's word, that he's good and he never lets us down. And we're going to look a little more about this goodness of God here in Psalm 67. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version, so if uh, you want to flip over, if you have that on your phone, you want to open that to ESV, that's great. It'll also be on your screens here. I want to invite you to uh, read with me here as we jump in. David writes this, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. And then he says, Selah. Selah is a Hebrew word that just means pause. We don't know where it came from, but... Typically, you would read this in a poetic way. It would maybe even be sung, and they would just pause there and let that sink in. So I'm going to let that sink in about God being gracious to us and blessing us and making his face shine upon us. And then verse 2, it says, that your way may be known on all the earth or on the earth. Your saving power among all the nations. Right up front, David wants us to know something. The reason he's writing this psalm is that God's way may be known on the earth. His, his prayer and his goal in talking to us is this end. This is the conclusion for which David's writing, that God's way may be known on all the earth, that there be no one on earth who has any kind of a confusion about who God is and about what he wants. That's the aim for which this psalm was written. Keep in mind that the psalms, if you don't know this, the psalms are basically David's quiet time book, right? Um, he just has a journal, and he's thinking, and he's meditating, and he's writing down these thoughts in poetry form. He probably edited a little bit there, but he's just writing down his prayers and his, his heart's desire to God, and that's what gets collected here in this book of the psalms. So he's just writing, God, I want your way to be known on all the earth. And so what he's going to tell us in just a few verses is how... The earth is going to know God's way, how the, the mechanisms, the method, the distribution channels for how this is going to be accomplished. And he starts that in verse 3. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Verse 4. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. And then again, he pauses and says, Selah. So we're going to pause there. Verse 5, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Verse 6, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. And that wraps up Psalm 67. Friends, I want you to understand or notice three things about this psalm here today. Um, it's the thing that's going to anchor us as we launch this semester of ministry, whether you're, you're at UCF or whether you're uh, at Valencia or whether you're at Disney or whether you're someone taking a victory lap somewhere, you're on online college, wherever you are. Uh, this is the verse I want to anchor us uh, for this semester. And I want us to anchor here or, or launch from this maybe is a better metaphor uh, for a couple of reasons. I want you to notice them in this text. They're either here explicitly or they're kind of hiding behind, lurking behind here. And here are the three reasons they're in your um, bulletin, if you got those. 
you want to fill in the blank. Number one, uh, God has always been about evangelism. This passage is about evangelism. And the reason you see evangelism in the Old Testament is because God has always been about evangelism. I remember when I was a young Christian, uh, the first time someone told me about evangelism, it seemed kind of scary. You know, I said, okay, what do I do as a Christian? They said, you should go and tell your testimony to people. And I was like, like I should knock on a door and tell them? And they're like, yes, you must. It's like, like a vacuum salesman? They're like, yeah, right? And all I knew about people who knocked on the doors and talked to me about God were the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons. And then there was like this one cult in this town I grew up in, and they would knock on the door every so often, and they were kind of weird. Um, not that I think all cults are weird, but this cult in particular was a little strange. Anyway, and so I was like, wait, I got to be like those guys? And I'm like, maybe if you must. And so I thought, man, this is so weird. Evangelism seems to be like a product of the 19th and 20th century in America. Like no one else does evangelism. I thought that like Jesus came and there was the cross and then he went to heaven and then there's the church just kind of partied for a while. And then the 20th century, they're like, you know, what we should do sales. We should do door to door sales. And once, like, the world said we should do door-to-door sales, Americans are like, hold my beer, right? We're going to do evangelism. We're going to kick it up a notch. Of course, they're Christians, so, you know, it was light beer or it was, like, not beer at all, right? Um, So the Christians were like, we're going to do door-to-door evangelism. And so instead of selling a vacuum, we're going to sell the gospel. And I was like, oh, man. So I find myself wrapped up in this subculture that believes in this thing called evangelism. And so I just was walking along, and I remember I got to seminary and took my first Uh, class on the Psalms, and I'm reading the Psalm, and I go, oh my goodness, evangelism is an Old Testament concept. This is not a post-cross thing. For whatever reason, God has always been about his fame and his renown being known among all the nations, that his ways would be known among all the nations. And I read this and went, oh God, I'm so sorry. I thought evangelism was a product of, you know, 19th and 20th century America. Come to find out, you've always been about this. People have always been testifying about who Yahweh is. In fact, if you think about it, you can read the entire Bible as one consistent story of evangelism. Think about it. God wants to get his fame and his name known to all the nations. So he starts with Adam and Eve. He has a perfect relationship with them. He's constantly taking care of them, giving them things. And they're like, man, this is awesome. Now, there's only two of them, right? So Adam would wake up in the morning and be like, hey, Eve. Uh, do you know that God loves you and has a plan for your life? And she'd be like, yes, I know that. And he'd be like, close the deal. All right, yes. So that was it. They were just evangelizing each other. But at some point, they said, eh, I don't want God anymore. I want the apple, which is always a bad way to go, right? And then the evangelism train breaks down. Okay, there's no more evangelism. They're kicked out of the garden now. They're just kind of in this disoriented state. You flip a few chapters later, God calls Abraham uh, out of his home to go to another home and to, to tell people about him, changes his name, changes his wife's name. Uh, Abraham has a son uh, named Isaac, and they have this interesting moment where God tells Abraham to kill Isaac, puts Isaac up, he's about to stab him, God intervenes, says, no, don't stab him, instead, here's this animal that you can sacrifice, and God goes, thank you, I don't have to kill my son, that's a, that's a generally a good idea, right? And so you would think in this, like, amazing moment where father and son have a bond, and there's, like, almost a murder sacrifice, but not, like, that that would just propel them to go and tell everybody about God all the time, did that happen? Well, not really, it's kind of inconsistent, right? And so then Isaac has this son named Jacob. Jacob at one point wrestles with God. God breaks his hip. He walks with a limp like a gangster, like an OG for the rest of his life. He's like, yeah, I don't want God, right? 
That's, that's his whole lot in life. You would think with this physical impairment, he would, people would always ask him, like, what happened to your knee? Was it a basketball injury? Was it a track injury? What's going on? He's like, no, I wrestle with God. And people are like, who are God? And he'd be like, oh, let me tell you about God, right? You would think that would be the evangelism strategy. But no, it doesn't quite work out that way. Like, people just still don't know about who God is. And so God gives Jacob this son named Joseph. And Joseph has an amazing Technicolor dream coat, right? You may have seen this play on Broadway, Maybe, maybe the original cast starring Donny Osmond, which, by the way, is very nice. Um, <laughs> so seriously, you should, go to, you should go to Spotify and you should see it. Like, it's, Donny Osmond has killer pipes. Say what you want about his weird relationship with his sister. He has, he has great pipes, right? Um, you guys don't know who Donny Osmond is at all, do you? Like, Google is probably trending right now on Donny Osmond. That's what's happening. You're like, what is going on about hurricane weather in Florida that makes people Google search for Donny Osmond? But Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dream Coat, this happens, right? He's got a dream coat. He's got a coat of many colors. His brother, bo- brothers throw him into a pit. He ends up becoming vice president of Egypt at some point. And you would think by being vice president of Egypt, the most powerful nation in the land, that he would, like, everyone would just know about Yahweh when they'd come to believe in him. But no, that's not what happens. At the very end of Genesis, into the beginning of Exodus, you see there was a new Pharaoh in the land, and nobody really knew about God anymore. And so God raises up Moses. And the way he's going to get Moses to tell everybody about him is he's going to manifest himself in a bush that is perpetually on fire, right? And Moses is going to go up on a mountain, and he's going to see this bush that's perpetually on fire. And God's like, okay, cool. Moses will go down. He'll tell everybody about me. He goes down and is like, hey, I saw this bush that was perpetually on fire. And they're like, eh, I'd rather worship this golden calf. And he's like, no, right? This is this terrible thing. So finally... Uh, God just says, I'm kicking the people out of Egypt. They're just not doing the thing. And so the Hebrew people are leaving Egypt. While they're leaving Egypt, God's like, I'm just going to try to do the Egyptians a solid, right? I'm going to bring 10 miracles upon them. You may call them plagues, but they're miracles, right? I'm turning the Nile River red. That's a miracle, right? It's at minimum a magic trick. So you would think at some point Pharaoh would be like, oh, my goodness, this is incredible. I want to worship Yahweh. No, the Bible says Pharaoh hardened his heart so the nations don't hear about God. So he sends Israel packing, right? And they're walking, and it's not just that they're walking on this road trip. He actually physically splits a sea and lets them walk on uh, dry ground. If you've seen the documentary of this, The Prince of Egypt, it's a cartoon documentary, right? (laughs) As they look either way, and they're walking, like, on dry ground, there's, like, whales. It's, like, the coolest aquarium ever, and they're like, oh, cool, a whale. And you would think after they saw whales and they saw these fish and they got to the other side, immediately they would be like, let's go tell everybody about Jesus, right? No, what do they do? Like, Miriam sings the song, and then they're like, I wish we were back in Egypt under slavery and oppression. It was better there. And they're like, God's like, what do I got to do for these people? So he sends them wandering in the desert for 40 years, and every day he bakes bread for them and provides it to them and kills quail and brings it to them. Except on Saturday where he, he gives a double portion, so on Sunday they could chill out. He gives them a day of rest. He gives them a day off. And do they tell people about him? No. He's like, oh, my gosh, what do I got to do? So finally he raises up these judges who go into the land, and they're trying to make sure that there's law and order. There's this one judge named Samson, right? Looks like an Adonis, like, you know, very Herculean. He's, like, killing stuff. He's, like, the first action hero, if you've ever seen this. Like, Hercules walks in and is like, I can't believe these people are coming after me. It's okay. My name's Hercules. And he puts on the sunglasses, and he goes outside, beats everybody up, right? He's got long hair. Lots of pretty girls come after him. You would think in all of this exchange, he would tell people about the power of Yahweh. No, what happens? He keeps falling for the same bad girl over and over again. And every single girl reads that book and goes, "Mm mm-hmm, I know what he's talking about, right? (laughs) That's always the case, right? That's just what, right? So still, the message of Yahweh is not getting out there. And so God has to raise up the next generation, 
And these guys are called kings. He raises up kings like David and Solomon. And although they follow God, David kills Goliath. Do people know about Yahweh? Kind of, but it's still not clear. His ways are not known on all the earth. And so the kings go down, and he raises up prophets. And the prophets go out, and they speak into the margins of, uh, speak from the margins of society into the center of society, telling everybody that this is all really bad. What they're doing is bad. Do people believe in Yahweh? No. Does his name get out? No. And so God finally just goes, okay, for 400 years, I'm not saying anything. I just, I need a moment. I need, like... <laughs> This is why in the Bible it says a day is like a, a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. That 400 years of silence between Old and Testament, Old and New Testament was God going, I need a moment, right? <laughs> Just, I got to think this through, right? Okay, right? So then he comes back in the New Testament. He's like, I got it. I'm sending Jesus to the earth, right? M me, my very existence, I'm coming to earth so you can see me in flesh and, and blood. And he lives a perfect life. And he gathers people, and he teaches them. Then he dies on the cross, a perfect death, and then he's buried for three days. And then after three days, he raises from the dead, comes out of the tomb, reveals himself to the disciples, and then ascends into heaven. And that's not enough. That's not enough. As he ascends to heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit to live in the hearts of every believer. And now we have a game changer because the, the manifestation of the love of God for everybody, the inclusive powerful, life-changing love of God now dwells in every believer, such that when you wake up every day, you go, wow, I'm filled with the love of God. I should tell everybody about this, right? And now you have this wonderful multi-level marketing scheme that's going on where every individual consumer of God's changing love is now motivated to tell everybody about it. And this is the manifestation of God's grand plan from the beginning, that Jesus, as he dies on the cross, and as people begin to believe in him, they are filled with the love of God and, and, and moved with the enjoyment of God to tell everybody about the life-changing love of God. It's been his plan from the beginning. God has always, always, always been about evangelism. And evangelism is the way that God's going to make his way known in all the earth. There's no other plan B. There's not a second thing. It's God will. He actually has another way he can tell everybody about himself. It's when he shows up and just says, hi, I'm God. But we know in the Bible that's going to be on the last day. That's a one-day thing. That's like God shows up and goes, hi, I'm God, and time's up, right? That's when that's going to happen. That's like the nuclear option for God, right? Because he knows once he reveals himself, he's got to wrap this thing up and start a new heaven and a new earth. So between now and then, what his plan is is every one of you in here who's got eyeballs and a heart and a mouth, He's going to fill you with his Holy Spirit when you believe in Jesus, when he converts you, and he's going to fill you with such joy, and he's going to give you all of these people around you who don't know Jesus, and he's going to whisper every day of your life, go tell them about me. But not like in a creepy way. This is not like a horror movie, right? Um, this is more like a still small voice, right? Go tell people. If you enjoy me, tell everybody about me. If you enjoy me, tell everybody about me. God has always been evangelism that's why he says in verse 3 let the peoples praise you oh god let all the peoples praise you he wants us to proclaim the good news of god's inclusive powerful life-changing love that resides in the heart of everyone who believes in jesus and when we do that verse 4 says it's going to result in this the nations are going to be glad so let's think about these two things not only has God always been about evangelism, but number two, uh, let's talk about the nations. What does it mean for nations to be glad? Nations. What are the nations? Nations are people groups. Nations are people groups. So God is saying, let the people groups be glad. A people group, if you remember from last year, a people group is just a group of people who 
are um, united by some common thing. Typically, it's language. It may be culture. It may be something else, but it's just people who are united by some thing. Um, so for us in college ministry, the way we organize is around three distinct people groups, UCF, Valencia, Disney, right? Disney people are united by their love for a mouse, right? And let's be honest, princesses, right? It's really about the princesses. Like, we like the mouse, but it's the princesses we're all after, right? Is that, am I fair, Disney people? Okay, some of you are like, no, it's the mouse. It's the mouse. That's fine. Mouses and princesses, okay? UCF are people who are united by their love for the knights, right? Go knights. Charge on. Okay, right? Valencia are people who are united by very inexpensive education, right? <laughs> Is that fair? Right? They're like, listen, do I, you want me to pay what? I can go to Valencia and get a high-class education for little. Like, come on, let's be, let's be honest here, right? So Valencia, Disney, UCF, these are, these are these people groups. Well, when God says let the nations be glad, he's not talking about societies or political entities. He's talking about people groups. These are these are people of every tribe and every tongue who exist all across the globe, people who are not necessarily nationally Chinese, but people who are uh, people who speak Mandarin or people who speak Hindi or people who speak Urdu or people who speak English or people who speak Canadian English, which is a weird version of English, but it's almost English, right? It just involves apologizing a lot and saying A, right? Or anybody from here in Canada? And we're like, I'm super offended at that. Any Canadians? Is Laura Messier here? She's Canadian. Okay, good. God, if she, even if Laura was here, she would apologize for being offended. So um, anyway, so listen, it's people who are united by these things. And when God says, let the nations be glad, he's saying, let these people groups all over the earth be glad. So people groups, again, they're not, they're not nations politically. They're just groups of people who are identified and united by common things, right? So that's number one. The third thing I want you to realize is God's desire is not to make nations happy, but to make them satisfied. God's desire is not to make nations happy, but to make them satisfied. Happiness, as we learned last semester, is an emotion. And emotions come and go. It's conditional, right? You eat a Chipotle burrito, you're happy. Okay, right? Okay, I'm, I'm happy. Your happiness could just be the product of your indigestion or digestion process, okay? Uh, you eat uh, a new burger joint that's not that great, you're sad, right? Uh, your football team wins tonight, like maybe Haley's football team over here, the New England Patriots, they might win tonight. Haley would be very happy. New England might lose, their quarterback might go down forever, and their organization might disintegrate from the bottom up, and she might be sad, right? I'm not saying I wish that upon her, I'm just saying <laughs> it's, you know, a probability, right? Um, so, again, happiness is conditional. God is not trying to make people groups happy. He is not in the business of making people happy. I think God cares if you're happy, but I think he also cares that you're sad, and I think he cares when you're frustrated, and I think he cares when you're scared. God cares about all of your emotions, but he doesn't exist to make you only have one particular emotion. That would be really myopic. God's desire is instead to make you glad, or that is to say, to make you satisfied, to make all the peoples satisfied. Being satisfied is unconditional. It means no matter the, the circumstances around me, I am ultimately content in the sovereignty of God and the reality of who he is. Satisfied, glad means I am ultimately satisfied in the reality of who God is. And so no matter what my conditions are, whether it's a sunny day in Florida and I'm on Cocoa Beach just chilling, getting a tan, playing some Frisbee, uh, watching some men in European Speedos go by and going, well, that's weird, Right? 
which is always my experience when I go to a beach. I'm always like, today is the day I'm going to go to a beach and not see a man in a Speedo. Nope. Nope, it's not. Um, right? So whether you're on the beach or whether a hurricane is coming through, it doesn't matter my circumstances. I am content in the sovereignty of God and who he is. And God's desire is to make the nations satisfied in him. And the way he's going to do that is through individual believers who are filled with the love of God as they're converted in Jesus Christ. That's how God's going to make the nations glad. So here's the big question, the application question I want to ask you guys here today. If, th- if all this is true, then how does God want me to help people become glad in Jesus? Or more particular, how does God want me to help my people group become glad in Jesus? If you're at UCF, how does God want me to help UCF students become glad in Jesus? If you're at Disney, how does God want me to help Disney workers become glad in Jesus? If you're at Valencia, how does God want Valencia people to become glad in Jesus? And there are four uh, things, I think, uh, if we could break this apart, there are four things, I think, that would help us understand God's um, strategy for you individually to become glad in Jesus. And they all begin with I, because that's how we roll. Um, Number one, you would first identify who those people are that God puts around you. You can't witness to people you don't know, and you can't witness to people you don't love, right? So, I mean, you can, like, take a track and just throw it at a stranger, um, but I, I, don't, I don't know that that's what God means here by making someone glad. I remember when I was in high school, our student ministry took this a spring break trip. It was a spring break mission trip to Colorado, to the mountains, and uh, they are like, yeah, we're going to do evangelism on the slopes. And I remember, I'm a, I'm a brand new Christian, and I'm like, how is that going to work? Like, and I was trying to conceive of all the scenarios in which you do evangelism on the slopes. And uh, so me and my buddy Brad are on this ski lift, like, going up, and we've got these tracks, right? And the tracks are, like, the, the most heinous kind of tracks. It's like, hey, have you thought about hell? Yeah, you're going to burn there one day if you don't believe in Jesus. Like, that was, and it was a cartoon with it. And I was like, who, like, people read this? I guess it's like a comic book. I don't know. Anyway, so I'm like, I'm like, what do I do with this? And he's like, we give it to people. I'm like, which people? And he's like, I don't know. So as we're going up, we see this guy just go <laughs> and hit the, hit the slopes. And he's like having trouble getting up, and he's wobbly. And my buddy Brad throws a track down onto him. And he goes, if you'd have died, you'd be in hell. And we kept going, right, up this lap, right? And I was like, this is what we're supposed to do? And Brad was like, I don't know, right? It seemed like a good idea. Jeez, okay, man, that's crazy. Right, hey, listen, you can't, you can't evangelize someone you don't know and love. So you're going to have to get to know some people. Before you get to know some people, you're going to have to identify who they are. So here's the question I want to ask you guys. Who has God put around you to evangelize? Who are the people around you God wants you to minister to? And maybe they're either... Uh, non-Christians, or maybe they're people who have been in church, but they've been away for a while, and they know they just need to get back. All they need is to know that there's a cool, safe Christian person they can go to church with, right? Who is it God's put around you that he wants you to minister to? Here's my encouragement to you guys. I want to encourage you tonight to think about three people, to identify three people who are in your people group, who are around you, um, that God may have put around you for the sole purpose that you begin to minister to them, okay? Identify them. And at the very end of today, um, I'm going to direct all of us, you don't have to do it now, but I'm going to direct all of us to find these Scrabble pieces. You may have noticed there's Scrabble pieces everywhere. Some of you are playing Scrabble in there with no board. You're just kind of like impromptu, like, let's do this, right? (laughs) Scrabble pieces, let's go. I'm the best, right? Uh, Some of you got real competitive, and it was awesome. Um, 
So we have these Scrabble pieces. It's not because we love Scrabble, although we do love Scrabble. It's because um, every one of these letters represents a name. And so what I would encourage you to do is not only identify three people who are in your area and pray about it and see if these are the three names God would have you begin to minister to, but all of those people who have names, those names have a first letter in that name. And so I want you to come grab the, the Scrabble tile pieces that begin with the three, uh, that correspond to the three names. So like if it's like Joe, Jeff, and John, you get three J's, right? Okay, and you can distinguish between which J is what, right? And I want you to take these Scrabble pieces as you leave. And again, I'll say this again. Um, and I want you to place them somewhere in your life where you're going to look at them every day. Maybe for you, uh, this would be for me, uh, it would be right where I do uh, brushing the teeth, right, by the sink. I'm a habitual teeth brusher, right, and flosser. I'm just, like, pretty hardcore about that stuff, right? So if I put the three uh, Scrabble tile pieces right there and I go to brush my teeth every day, I'm going to remember, pray for these three people, right? Pray for these. And that's the next I on there, by the way. It's inner C. So identify, grab some uh, Scrabble pieces, identify, place it somewhere, and then every time you see them, begin to intercede, begin to pray for these people. Um, because uh, what you're asking God to do is to say, hey, work in your power to draw these people towards Jesus and then use me to help. What you're not saying is, I've identified these people. Now I'm going to go close the deal. Uh, come on, God, you can follow me. I'll show you how it's done, right? Uh, I'm not asking you to go and be a jerk or work in your own power. I'm actually asking you to go and make this a ministry thing. Make it work in the supernatural power of God. So begin to intercede. God, would you open some divine appointments with my three names? Just give me an opportunity to do this. Uh, I'll tell you a story about this. Uh, in maybe last fall, our senior pastor, David Yu, challenged our entire church to do this. You guys, were any of you guys there and you wrote down your three names on your card, right? Remember that? Okay. I thought it was a really great thing, and I was like, we're going to do this, right? Which is typically what happens with our senior pastor. He's like really smart, and he says something, and I'm like, oh, okay, I see where you're going with this. Let's do this in college. And so I remember he gave us the, th the three-name card, and I wrote my names on there, and one of them was my neighbor, uh, Raj. Raj is from India. Um, he has a daughter who's my daughter's age. Um, we're always we're in that friendly neighbor relationship where I always mow my lawn, and then he comes out, and I can tell in the kindest, most Indian way possible. He's like, you jerk, not to mow my lawn. I'm so mad at you. The HOA would have been fine if you just let it keep growing. But you mowed your lawn. Now my lawn looks crazy. I'm going to have to mow it now. Thank you so much. Sipping my coffee. I'm so mad at you. That's the kind of relationship we're at right now. He's not really mad at me, but he's like neighbor mad at me. Um, but uh, I remember I started praying for Raj and his wife and a couple of our other of our neighbors. And I, I told Natalie, my wife, as I went home, I was like, man, there's no way. Like, there's just no way. I'll pray for this, but there's no way God will open those doors. Like, this is not going to happen. He's mad anytime I mow my lawn. And then the next day, the next day, I'm out playing with my kids. He comes out with a papaya. And he walks over to me, and he's like, Doug, I know we haven't had much interaction, but I have a garden in my backyard that's kind of, you know, hidden. I tend to it, and I've been growing these papayas. Would you like one? And I was like, who's saying no to papaya? Yes, <laughs> right? This is awesome. And he was like, we should get together for dinner. And I was like, yes, we should, and I'll get back to you. And I walked in, I was like, Natalie, I don't know why I always doubt God, but he's, <laughs> you know, and I was just stopping. I was like, you are good. You are good. Oh, right? I was just like, you are, you are never going to let me down, God, right? So here identify, intercede. You never know what God might do. I hear these stories all the time. People begin praying for people. They're like, God, show me who I need to minister to. And then someone comes and knocks on their door and is like, can we hang out? And you're like, this person? And God's like, that person, right? So just begin interceding. And then the next I, the next I, invest. Once 
you can establish who they are and begin praying for them, look for opportunities to invest in them. Um, and the easiest way to invest in them is just kind of spend a little time with them. If you're in the mailroom, just kind of linger in the mailroom and talk a little bit. Figure out what they like to do. Begin to stir up conversations around those topics. See if, if you can invite them to coffee or dinner at some point in a non-creepy way, right? Now, guys, this is not an opportunity for you to minister to ladies, right? <laughs> Let me be very clear on this. And ladies, not an opportunity to minister to a guy. Anna's like, oh, you, you discovered my plan here all along, right? <laughs> she was like, come on, Doug, come on, right? So here's, I just want to be very clear. Do not do this. Don't be like, uh, okay, <laughs> Jennifer, uh, you know, Erica, okay. Uh, this is not Mambo number five, right? You know, a little bit of Monica on my mind, right? This is not, right? And it's not like, uh, hey, you know what? Uh, would you like to go to coffee later, right? I don't believe in missionary dating. There's no flirt to convert, right? So guys, pray about guys. Girls, pray about girls. Let's just kind of respect that whole thing right there, okay? Can we just be cool with this? Okay, all right. So invest, invest in them, invest in the relationship, invest in common conversations, invest, talk to them, get to know them, find out their story, find out if Jesus intersects their story. If it doesn't, find out where they are. Start praying for ways for you to leverage the gospel in that situation. Here's, here's how we want to make that easy for you. Once you start investing, go to the fourth I, which is invite. Invest and invite. Invite them to come with you. The easiest thing for you to do uh, as as in terms of an inviting thing is invite them to come to a special event that we hold here right so their ucf or their valencia for disney invite them to a special event maybe it may be hard to invite them to an anthem maybe not it may be difficult to invite them to a church service or to your life group but i think it would be great to invite them to one of those but we're going to do several special events this semester and they're designed custom tailored for you to invite your non-christian and your de-churched friends to so for example on the back of your bulletins if you see that if you look on the back of there we have all of our events that are coming this year and the first or the next big one that's coming up uh is actually our poser party poser party is on october 31st uh some non-christians call this halloween um <laughs> but it's our version of halloween we it's like for us halloween but with a twist so we invite you all to show up dressed as something just as a character and then at some point we go three two one and we like do a bell or whatever, and then for the next hour, you have to act in character the rest of the time, right? <laughs> so you've got to be, there's two levels of the strategy here. You've got to pick someone who you can pull off um, both in look and in character, right? So if you dress up as a rabbit, no more talking, right? Unless you're like, you know, the Easter bunny or like a disgruntled Easter bunny or something like that. Chuckles, that was for you, right? That was for you. Unless you're Bugs Bunny from Space Jam, which you nailed last year. So there you go. So that would be a great thing to invite them to. Bring them to Poser Party. We're going to have a UCF tailgate at some point. We were supposed to have one Saturday, but because of the hurricane, we're rescheduling it. So we're going to have a UCF tailgate where we're going to provide food and provide you a ticket into the football game. Okay? And so that would be a great thing for you to invest and invite someone to. And once you invite them to come to there and they see that Christians aren't just all crazy cult members, right? Then you can invite them to come to an anthem or to a life group or something like that. So identify, intercede, invest, and invite. That's how God, excuse me, that's how I think God wants you to help make people glad in Jesus. And just to tell you how this could work, I want to I wanna, uh, introduce uh, my friend Ryan. Ryan's right here in the wheelchair. Ryan, why don't you just kind of loop around right here. I want to interview Ryan because something cool happened to Ryan last week, and I want Ryan to tell you about it. So would you guys welcome Ryan to the front right here? There you go. Here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab this and come sit down by you. 
All right. All right, can everyone see Ryan? Are you guys good? If you can't, just kind of stand up or whatever. We'll try to talk real fast so you're not seeing for uh, a while. Ryan, let's, I know we had the four questions. Well, let's just, let's get the good stuff out front. What happened last yeah. Thursday? Well, um, last Thursday, I accepted Jesus. Okay, so Ryan texted me last Thursday and says, hey, I'm a plus one, which is our lingo for I've, you know, on the spectrum, I've become a Christian. And I was like, dude, that's awesome. And so, uh, Ryan, tell us why maybe that's a significant uh, statement, because I'm sure people have seen you here for a while, but talk to us about why that's significant. Well, um, I've been here for a year. I came down on the Disney College program, Um, but the biggest reason I guess why that is significant is because I have I'm from Mississippi I've been in church my whole life and I thought that I got saved when I was 12 and it was just something cool that all my friends were doing was becoming Christians and I was just like cool well I know what I'm supposed to do so I did that but I never really realized um until after having some more in-depth conversations with Doug and some of my other friends here, that I may not be a Christian. And um, let me tell you, that that's... <sighs> Christian culture is weird, I'm going to tell you guys, because I, I, I mean... It's okay to amen that if you got that, like, I, amen. I, I okay, thought... See, everyone knows, yeah, Rick's on board with that, so... I thought I had it, um... I mean, it, I knew all the answers. I could give you every answer to every Bible question probably that you would possibly ask me, but I didn't, I didn't have the heart to back it up. So um, that's why it's so incredible to me, I guess. Awesome. Tell, tell us a little bit about your backstory, like maybe some of the significance, maybe describe the chair, describe family. Like what were some of the hurdles you had to work through in coming to make this decision? Well, um, I, I came, the, the main reason that I came back to Florida was to go to the Disney College program, and I am a non-traditional CP. I am not a CP anymore. I was a CP from August until just a couple of weeks ago, the end of July, um, last year to this year. Um, but I'm a, I had just finished grad school, and um, I wanted to come and do the Disney College program, one, because I had already done it before when I graduated undergrad, and two, because I wanted a way out. I wanted a way from uh, out from underneath my family and everything, and I, I will, before I get into any of that, I will preface this by saying that I have the two most well-meaning parents in the world. I mean, they're, I don't want to say anything bad about them, um, but my mom is kind of a helicopter mom. And Doug can testify to this, especially today, because she was even calling him about the hurricane. So, um, and she's met you, like, twice? Yeah. 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 So, okay. Um, <laughs> Anybody else have well-meaning parents? Let's just see. We got well-meaning parents here. That's, that's, okay, good. We understand that. We're on board. Okay. And my dad, my dad is a fixer. My dad can fix any problem. He knows how to fix any household um, thing, any problem, he's got advice, he's like, oh, you need to do this, you need to 
this is how you need to fix this, and if you can't do it, then I can fix it for you, you know? That's how my dad is, but I'm the oldest child of five, and I think I'm the first thing that my dad ever encountered that he can't fix. So we don't, that probably has something to do with the reason that we don't relate all the time. Um, but as I said, I, I just wanted to come to a place where I knew I was going to be safe. I'd already done it before, so I already had care systems in place. And I was like, Mom, you know, I can do this. I've already done it, so let's do it again. And that's where I'm at. Okay. So just to give you the background, I'd been here maybe two months when you got here in August last year. And we get this email through the system. I don't even remember if you remember this. He emailed our system and was like, hey, I have cerebral palsy. I'm in a wheelchair. I'd love to be able to come to a worship service. Can you guys, like, Ryan owns a van. We call it the party van. Uh, and it's his van where he can get around. And he was like, I can, I can get there. All I need is someone to drive me. Right? That was basically the first email, right? Right. Mm -hmm. right. So there's this other CP named uh, Matt Mason. And, like, he had come to church the week before, and we were like, hey, Matt, you live on campus. Would you be able to give Ryan a uh, ride? And he was like, sure. And so we got Ryan here, and everybody met him. All the pastors met him. I met him. And then pretty soon after, we went out to lunch, and I was just like, hey, tell me your story. And we ate, and that's kind of how we got to know each other, right? Right. Uh -huh. And we've probably been hanging out, what, like every other week yeah. for a year, if not well, more than I that? Mean, I mean, I text you every day, so, like, yeah. I, I mean, only, I— yeah. Right, so hey, if you text me, I promise you I'll respond. Ryan is proof of this. We only, yes. we only send like 75 text messages a day. Right. Right, okay. Paragraph minimum. Paragraph minimum, right. So, right. so Ryan and I were hanging out. Matt Mason and Ryan were hanging out. A guy named TJ and Ryan were hanging out. A guy named Josh DeWitt and Ryan Harrison. were hanging out. A guy named Harrison were hanging out. A whole bunch of us had just kind of started investing in Ryan. Uh, Mike Nelson, and I don't even know if I've told you this. Can I tell you this in front of everybody? I don't think it's a shock value. Like, pretty early on, a whole bunch of us got together who were believers, and we were like, we really like Ryan. We don't think he's a Christian. And like we, we had kind of said, we think we need to kind of invest in him because we love him, A, but because I think he wants to believe in Jesus, he's maybe not there. Is that, I don't know if that's news to you, but um, we, we were, we were kind of having that conversation, right? Um, and um, so, man, I mean, how about this? I didn't ask you this. We, we did this on Tuesday. We did his testimony, but maybe for just for everybody, just to kind of seal the deal, what's been kind of the, the nature of our conversations as it relates to Jesus over this year, as I've been kind of invested in inviting you and becoming a friend with you? Well, I was, I'm a product of a really, 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 really small church in Mississippi. And they have, like, it is called Landmark Faithway Missionary Baptist, and they are like the most strict. Um, all the ladies wear dresses all the time. They don't cut their hair. There's no um, music with a CD. There's no this. There, all there's these there's these rules. And I remember growing up. I'm thinking, you know, I mean, I'm hearing from all these people. That Jesus is supposed to be fun and being Christian is supposed to be, you know, great and wonderful. But I'm just seeing all these restrictions on me. I'm not seeing any joy. I'm not seeing. I'm seeing that Jesus is this guy that's standing up and going, oh, I see what you're doing. 
and it's wrong and you're a bad person. You know, just pointing his finger at you and that's that's what I saw and Doug is just like, no, dude, <laughs> that's not what the Bible says. That's not what, I mean, do you get that from anybody that you hang out with around here? And I'm like, oh, no, not really. <laughs> like, you know, so I just, <sighs> my whole perspective just kind of changed on that. Right. So Ryan got plugged into First Orlando, and we had all this, all these conversations, just so you guys know, where he was like, First Orlando is different, right? And if you guys have been here for a while, you just know, like, there's normal churches, and then there's First Orlando, right? It's just a quirky, different kind of fun church, and Ryan really loved that. And so we started talking about what it means to be a member and what it means to get plugged in, what it means to be a leader, because Ryan has tremendous leadership potential. Um, and there was just this sticking point of, do you really want Jesus to be Lord over your life? Because that means he drives, not you. That means he's in charge, not you. And, I mean, maybe say just a few things about how that conversation went down, especially coming from, like, a super fundamentalist conservative background. Well, um, this is going to make a bunch of y'all laugh, but, like, what one of the things that I, because I really relate to, like, story <laughs> I know you're going this is super awesome sorry I really relate to like stories like um Narnia Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and all, all that okay. stuff you Her know Harry Potter fans in here Harry Potter hold on wait Harry Potter fans who may have been felt guilted by other Christians for liking Harry Potter okay cool so you guys know where Ryan is okay cool so when I was in high school and I was really into Harry Potter like and I had to like my mom had to read Harry Potter before I was allowed to read it she had to make, uh, make sure that it wasn't evil or anything like that, you know. Right. But I was really into Harry Potter, and one of the first things that I had a conversation with Doug was like, well, what about Harry Potter? Like, I really like Harry Potter. Like, I'm really into Harry Potter. Like, you don't understand. And he's like, I'm not anti-Harry Potter. Like, not at all. Like, that's part of the great... Uh, like the C.S. Lewis tradition, and if you're against Harry, if you're against Harry Potter, you're against Narnia as well, and you can't be that. So I mean that, and I was like, whoa, okay, you know that that was honestly one of the main turning points for me. Is like, whoa, I can still like what I've always liked and be a Christian. Awesome. So yeah. Uh, and that was probably the last hurdle for him. I mean, once he could understand you can be a Christian and still read Harry Potter, he was like, oh, <laughs> this changes everything, right? So, yeah. Hey, what would you say to all them as we're talking about investing and buying? Just your last 30 seconds. What would your encouragement be to people here as someone who's a brand-new Christian who's, who's like, hey, why didn't someone talk to me about this sooner? Like, what would you, what would you maybe encourage us with here? Um, you know, you don't have to come with this grand theological perspective all about Jesus just if you click with the person you don't even have to lead with talking about Jesus just invest in that person like even though Doug is a pastor not that I think the first conversation we had really didn't have anything to do with the Jesus we were just kind of you know hanging out so you can build to that point don't feel and an enormous amount of pressure to automatically go there. I think that's uh, that stops a lot of people, and I I can't say that for sure because I don't 
no, I'm just now becoming a Christian, so, but just don't put a lot of pressure on yourself. Just hang out. If it's there, it'll work, so. Right. We say this all the time. If there's chemistry, it's your ministry, right? Hey, can we thank Ryan for just sharing his testimony? That was awesome. I'll put you. Hey, love you, buddy. Good job. All right, hey, here's how I want us to kind of respond and wrap up here today. I'll just kind of make this statement here broadly. Hey, listen, if there weren't like five of us who were investing in Ryan, I don't know if he'd be here today and be a believer. And there are 200,000 Ryans in Orlando. There are 200,000 college students who live in Orlando who are part of Disney, Valencia, who are part of UCF. And they all need to be glad in Jesus if they're going to be satisfied. Many of them are chasing happiness. They're chasing entertainment. They're chasing all these things. You know what? God doesn't want them to be entertained. He wants them to be satisfied. And the way that God's going to make them satisfied in him is through every one of us here today. And so may I encourage you to begin identifying people that God's put around you. May I encourage you to begin interceding for them. May I encourage you to begin investing in them. Like Ryan said, it doesn't take a big sales pitch. Just start hanging out with them. And then can you begin inviting them to come with you to church and ultimately invite them to believe in Jesus? Here's how I want us to respond. Justin and the band are going to sing a song called Build My Life. And I want to invite you to stand if you're able. That's our default posture of worship. Um, and I want to invite you to think through the song, sing, sing if that's what God wants you to do. We're also going to have our staff down front, some guys for guys to pray with, some girls for girls to pray with. If you need prayer for anything, if you need prayer for Irma, if you need prayer for evangelism, if you need prayer for your job, if you need prayer for your test, come down front. We would love to pray with you. And so whether you stand and sing, whether you kneel and contemplate, whether you come down front and pray with us, however you need to respond, this is your chance to respond. you got one song here. Um, I want to invite you to respond.